is Ella Kate Marisi, and you are listening to More Than Child's Play with your host, my mommy, Lacey Marisi, and my Aunt Nicole Surgeon. They're authors, therapists, and most importantly, mommies. And man, can they talk. So sit back and relax and learn from their village. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the More Than Child's Play podcast. This is your host today, Nicole Sturgent, co-owner of Milestones and Miracles. I'm flying solo without my uh, business partner and friend, Lacey, today to bring you a special episode um, that just kind of happened on the fly, um, which is why we're both not here today. But our guest today is a family member of mine, my cousin, Tanya. Um, she is a resident in France. She lives in France, in the south of France. And she's going to talk to us today a little bit about her experience of raising a French-American child in France and um, raising a child who's bilingual and just kind of the differences between parenting um, in Europe and parenting here. She's here visiting um, family um, for a few weeks, and so I just thought it would be interesting to get her take on what a lot of us are experiencing here in America, or if you're listening from around the world somewhere else, and um, just kind of compare and contrast that. We got we do that a lot um, ourselves, and it, I find it kind of interesting, so I just thought it would be interesting to share with all of you. Um, I will say, just as a disclaimer before we start, um, we were basically raised together, and um, she is pretty much like a sister to me, so we have a lot of um, shenanigans in our history together. So this, we've had a lot of professionals on our podcast. Not that she's not a professional, she is. But for the this podcast, this is really more of family sharing. Um, we'll try to keep the shenanigans to a minimum for you so that you can get our message. But I, I can't promise there won't be giggles um, here and there because that's just the nature of our relationship. So with all that said, welcome to the podcast, Tanya. Hi, everyone. Nice to be here. So, um, I guess, first of all, just tell us a little bit about you. You are um, obviously raised with me here in West Virginia. How did you end up in France? So, <laughs> trying to make a long story short, <laughs> I, um, I'm a bit of a lost human. Uh, <laughs> Not a lost human. Oh, a little bit. I wonder lust. Yeah. So I started out uh, going towards a French degree. Didn't really know what I was going to do with that. Um, so I ended up actually moving away to Rhode Island to pursue a culinary arts degree and career in the culinary world, which lasted a while. Um, and then I kind of just went back to the first love of French and wanted to, to, to follow up with that. So I went back to school in Colorado <laughs> to finish my French degree. And for my last semester, I studied abroad in France, in Aix-en-Provence, which is in the south of France near Marseille. Um, so I actually knew I wanted to stay there a while. I did a, a teaching assistantship in a middle school there uh, for a year after after I finished my French degree. And then uh, I found my husband had a baby there and just ended up staying in France. So tell us a little about, about that baby. She's not quite a baby now, but... She is not a baby anymore. She's six years old now. Her name is Lily Rose. <laughs> 
And she is currently in what would be the equivalent of kindergarten. So next year she'll be in first grade. So let's let's talk about a little bit about um, I guess the beginning of your parenthood journey. So um, when Tanya f- told the rest of our family that she was expecting Lily Rose, we were all obviously overjoyed um, and kept close tabs on um, the pregnancy and and the expectation of Lily Rose to come through FaceTime. We're lucky um, that technology helps us and and we can still maintain close contact and relationship with technology. But there were there are some differences we noted um, between not huge but some differences between pregnancy and as for terms of medical care um, in France compared to here. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, okay, so what are some of the things that were different? Well, first of all, I so I work in France, so I've worked in France pretty much since I've been there. So also they have so they have a very um, they have universal health care. Uh, we have a very social system. So uh, so we do pay a, a, a good chunk of our salary into the social system. But that being said, we pretty much don't pay for any medical expenses. So every time I I visit the doctor, I don't pay for anything. Um, I come in with my medical card. Uh, and actually, you do when it's depending on which doctor. If it's the general doctor, you go in, you pay your twenty three bucks. <laughs> um, That's your copay. No, you pay and you get reimbursed by Social Security. So you get reimbursed oh. by the by healthcare. Okay. So you pay up front and then they pay you back. Okay. One hundred percent. Okay. So that's the general doctor. Could and you pick your OBGYN? Could you go anywhere yes, you wanted? Anywhere I wanted. And you, would you say that you saw your doctor about the same as we did when we were pregnant? Like not so maybe once a month in the beginning and every couple weeks and then every week at the end. Yes. And um. So, ultrasounds. You had ultrasounds. I had ultrasounds. So I had. So actually, my my and I, I know it's not the case with every OBGYN, but mine had like she has an ultrasound in her office, like a not the high performing one, but she has a mini one where she can she can monitor things in the, in her office. Um, and then um, for the term ultrasound, so I had three three or four. Um, I went to. The, 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 the hospital where she works, and that's where we did those. Okay. And in addition to an ultrasound, you had? I actually had a CAT scan. So my daughter was um, breech, uh, which she pretty much was breech. I don't know when we learned she was breech, but it was it was a good while before. I, I went to see the osteopathic doctor to try to get her turned. I saw her a few times. Um, I tried all the I, I tried a few different things to try to get her to turn around. She never did. Um, so before I uh, was set to give birth, they wanted to make sure they wanted to see if I could do uh, a, a vaginal delivery mm-hmm. or if I had to get a C section. So they wanted to see if there was room with my with my pelvis. bone structure, pelvis, if she could get through. So I did have a CAT scan, which, and so I was just, I was literally just listening to the doctor. I didn't think much of it because it was normal for them. And I, I, this came back to the family and everyone freaked out. Well, because her sister is a nurse and, I, and I'm a physical therapist. So we, and we have a few doctors and we were all like, what? And, and I can actually share the image when we post this. It, the image is sort of alarming. It's not what you normally see. But it's very interesting. It is interesting. It is interesting. And, and, you know, thank God Lily's fine. Tongue is fine. 
but it was just different. So then they decided that, okay, wait, let's back up a second. Did you see the midwife throughout the pregnancy in addition to the doctor or in place of the doctor? In addition. So you go and see the midwife to, it's basically kind of like your Lamaze class. They they, they, um, talk you through all of that. Um, help you help you visualize trees and things like that, <laughs> which I didn't actually end up needing in, in the end because I did have a C-section in the end um, because the C-scan showed that there wasn't my, my bone structure, my pelvis wouldn't allow a, a regular birth. So, um, but yes, the, the midwife we did, we do see uh, in addition to the OBGYN and there are midwives in the delivery room. Okay, yeah. so you you had a C-section. So I had a C-section. Um, it was actually programmed, but then I I I start I went into labor a couple of days before, uh, before. So when you went into labor, they brought you to the hospital and did the C-section. So we so I called um, because I had uh, my water started breaking, and they told me to come in, and so it was like three or four in the morning. And so we went there and yeah. And so actually, no. So actually they monitored, monitored me for a while. They were going to wait, um, till this doctor. So till my doctor was there in the morning. Um, and after a couple hours of labor, they just said, well, we're not going to make you suffer for, for no five reason. more hours for no reason. We're just going to do it. So the dog, the on-call doctor did the C-section. And how many days were you in the hospital? Seven total. So I was in that hospital for okay, a week. So that's a first difference. So I've had two C-sections and I was there less than 48 hours. Which actually quite um, <laughs> shocked me because I was, I could not have gone. I did not feel that I could have gone home within 48 hours. I was a mess. Um, I was in pain. <laughs> yeah, I, was I in didn't, pain. I didn't walk for I came a couple days. But they got me up the same day as surgery. I did not. So, uh, Lily stayed in the hospital with you. Lily stayed in the hospital with me. Um, my husband had a, like a cot uh, that he could sleep on uh, yep, if he wanted to, here. and so which he did several nights. And and they, um, while you were there, you got breastfeeding support. Yes, I didn't have. I know they have lactation consultants, consultants and things here. I think it's changed because I now have my sister in law has just had a baby, and I I think they're much more up on. Like she had a lot of people come in and help her with the breastfeeding. Um, she had a lot of different services. Like she could go in and have acupuncture and mm. yoga and things. Like they had services you could go do for free. That's awesome. Yeah, which I didn't. I didn't actually have. So it's changed in the last five six years as well. So seven days you're in the hospital. What were you doing there? Just resting? Resting a lot. Um, to be honest, I had a rough few days after the, um, so after the, the reason that one of the reasons I had a, uh, a really rough couple of days was, um, and I don't know if you had this actually, uh, after the, after the, um, I actually, I didn't actually have an epidural. I had a Spinal. A, a rashy. Yeah, spinal. it must have been a spinal. Um, so after that wore off, they gave me, was what what they said is that your uterus doesn't, con- when you have a C-section, doesn't contract by itself to go back to how it was, like you would with a regular birth. So they gave me a, some kind of medicine for that to happen, and I had these huge contractions. So I was like in enormous pain. Yeah, I didn't have that. They just told me to breastfeed, and it, my uterus would contract when I was nursing. See, they didn't. So that's a difference. They didn't tell me that. (laughs) They made me suffer. (laughs) And they were very, from what I understand too, like you can take some, I don't know what kind, some 
or at least, at least this is my impression of what I thought while I was suffering. I don't know if it's actually true, <laughs> but I thought that you could have m- more powerful or more useful painkillers, which they were basically coming in, pulling out two Tylenol from their pockets and like, like it was, you know, they were drug dealers saying, this is all you can have for the day. <laughs> Oh and God. I was, so I was in a lot of pain uh, the first couple days. So mostly you were resting. Yes, I was resting. So you came and, home. And I didn't even give my daughter her first bath, so he, my Cameron did. Because I wasn't up yet. Like he gave well, the her hospital the, gives the bath here. Well, mo- they, well they, they actually show you how to do it. Like yeah. you were next to him. Yeah, they showed, yeah. they showed us that, but I wasn't there for that either. Okay. So you're not alone. Okay. So when you came home, though, what was what is the medical support? Because I remember you had an osteopath visit the home to do, like, adjustment, light adjustments, oh, so but adjustments on her. Yeah, so just to back up for one quick second, um, when I was in the hospital, so I was actually set to leave after day six. So day six I was set to leave, and I had to actually walk downstairs to fill out the paperwork to leave, and I was not well. Like, I was, I think I, there was a lot of emotions. I was still like in pain and, um, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was emotional. So they were just like, you know, basically we're not going to kick you out. If you need to stay another day, you stay another day. So there was that compassion ish, like compassion side of things. Uh, and they're, they, they do keep you longer if they feel it's necessary. It's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, coming home then, um, you see the midwife. I think you have three visits with the midwife and they the baby. Your incision. They check the incision. They check the baby's weight. Um, they come to the house. She comes to the house or you go to her, depending on what's easiest for both of you. I think she came to the house the first time and I went to her the second time. Okay. Um, I it, remember the osteopath came to your house. Yes, the osteopath came to your house. The osteopathic doctors are very common in France. Um, they're actually not covered by universal health care. But pretty much everybody I know goes to them. They're often covered partially by your secondary health care. So in France, so I, you have your universal health care, but some things aren't completely covered. And you always have a secondary health care. Either you pay for it or it's with your job. Um, and that was covered partially. The osteopathic doctor was covered partially by that secondary health care. And yes, she did come to the house and basically manipulate uh, very softly um, it's basically finger manipulation of just kind of putting things into Skull, place. Spine. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, as a PT, if, if you're a therapist listening and you've ever heard of or done a total motion release, um, certification, and if you've done that certification or if you haven't, they, they talk a lot about fascial restrictions from being in the uterus for so long and that, Almost every infant comes out with some preference um, in terms of symmetry to right and left. So when I heard that the osteopath came to kind of lightly balance her, I I just think it would be interesting to see um, compare if that if that makes a positive difference in terms of delays associated with asymmetries or if the rates of torticollis and plagiocephaly are as high just side note for the therapists in the audience okay so she also worked she also worked inside the mouth like she oh oh speech therapist do you hear that she did some oral manipulation to help with sucking you don't know why i'm not sure why yeah (laughs) 
Okay. I, I honestly, I did it because, um, so I, I saw the osteopathic doctor a lot when I was pregnant and uh, basically all the French people I know see them one to four times a year. Um, and it was just recommended. So I did it because they said right. it was good for the baby. <laughs> and what about, what about breastfeeding? What's the culture of breastfeeding in France? Is it encouraged? Do most people breastfeed? Is there a mix like there is here of breast and formula? There's definitely a mix. I think it's a, it's definitely encouraged, and I know it's it's the at least the maternity where I uh, gave birth. It's it's highly encouraged, um, and uh, but there's definitely a mix. I personally uh, I personally wanted to breastfeed. I breastfed until my daughter was about 17 months. So at the beginning, completely, um, I think we introduced food around four months, uh, and then it was morning and evening. Uh, and then it was just evening towards the end of that 17 months. Yeah. Right. And, and, um, so there, I never felt this way and I hope I never projected this way, but I know there are mothers who feel like here sometimes there's like a shaming of, you know, you breastfed or you bottle fed. Is there, is there any of like, do you pick up on that mommy culture there with I, food preferences or it just doesn't matter? No, I don't. I don't see a lot of the a lot of the shaming and the whole public. Well, so it's a it's an entirely different culture. And in France, just to be blunt about it, I mean, boobs are just <laughs> kind of more present. You, you, if you go to the beach, people are topless. Um, I have friends. You know, all of my friends that have had babies, they'll breastfeed in front of you, no problem. I mean, and I and I get that here with friends. It's not necessarily a big issue. Right. But like I've had, so we went to visit a friend of mine from work who had a baby and I was there with two male colleagues of mine. She breastfed in front of us. Like it wasn't, it's not, not, not really they covered use either. A blanket. No. They don't use the, the covers. They don't, people don't sell no. the covers there. I, it might, it might, it might start to be coming little by little. I don't know, but I haven't ought to be honest. No, like it's not a, it's not a huge deal as far as I've seen anyways. So, um, because we, we focus a lot on early childhood development and, um, and noticing and encouraging those early milestones, I'm curious, um, did you feel like your pediatrician paid close attention to her development when you went in for checks? Did they talk about her development specifically, or was it just like a general check of if she was doing the things she was supposed to be doing for her age? Um, I think that, so yes, I think he was paying close attention. I don't necessarily think he was communicating all of that with me. He had, you know, he was doing, he has these things to, you know, make sure she's hearing like the cow sounds and, and whatnot. But I specifically had to ask him what he was doing. He didn't necessarily communicate. This is for this reason. Um, this is why Did I'm doing he tell doing you, it. you know, by six months she should be doing this or these are things to work on? Not that I remember, no. Any, like, education on make sure you're putting her on the floor or putting her on her tummy? You know, there. so I think it may have been a bit different because I had a lot of questions because I talk to you a lot. <laughs> um, and so you guys help me out and stress me out about certain <laughs> things. <laughs> um, so I think I... I, I, I go in there asking things as well because you you're like you need to did ask you, this and right. did you or coming out of the the coming out of the the um the visits you know did you ask him this did you ask him that I'm like no <laughs> like <laughs> I didn't necessarily think of that um but uh I think some of it is just me not necessarily knowing so not necessarily paying attention to the th- 
or not necessarily yeah. absorbing what he was asking me, but I think she is, you know, she does, she has, um, they have what's, they have like a, I don't even know if we have this here. It's like a book to follow their growth. So all of the prescriptions that she has, all the sicknesses that she's ever yeah. had. Um, they used they, to have that here when, like in the seventies when we went to Dr. Bright. Okay. <laughs> Cause mine's See, in, in the basement. I don't have cedar it. Chest. <laughs> um, but no, we don't have a book that we take back and forth, but I know what you're talking about. So we still have that. Um, and inside their vaccinations are inside yeah, all of the sicknesses, yeah, you know, all the sicknesses they've had. And then their, their, um, the growth, growth curve. Right. Yeah. So, um, Lily Rose is bilingual. She speaks, um, French obviously very well and English well too. Um, there's a few things that still catch her up with English, but really it's, it's very few. Um, I'm just curious. I mean, obviously you knew from the beginning you were going to teach her both languages. How did you practically go about introducing her to two languages at the same time? Okay. So basically she lives in a French environment. She, she has a French dad. She has French aunts and uncles there. She went to daycare in France. So everybody's speaking French. She she goes to French school. So I took, for me, my job was just to speak to her in English all the time. That was my approach. There's no, I mean, nothing more to it than just, and it's, and it's, it was actually, you know, it's actually an effort because I'm in a French environment too. I'm speaking French all day. So trying to speak to her in as English. much as possible in English. And and also when I did speak to her in French, I always tried to repeat myself in English so that she would get both and she would understand both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think she understood French first or did she understand them both at the same time? Or could you tell, did one come easier to her? It depends on, on how you look at it. I think she, so at, at the beginning, I was at the house with her. That was at the very beginning. She started to go to daycare at eight months, I believe. So um, she was actually getting mostly English at a very early age. Um, and so then when daycare starts, so she understood everything I was saying. We were She did a bit of sign language for the basic things at the beginning. Um, and then she went to daycare and was obviously having more French than English because she spent, well, or at least equal. So I would say that as far as, communication goes the language part as far as her communicating the french came first no doubt but she understood everything in english she understood everything i was saying um to communicate in english was harder for her she spoke a lot of franglish <laughs> at the beginning which was super cute and i love it um what I actually, age do you feel like the english started to emerge spoken more easily, more easily to her four years old four okay. four and a half so I've, I've heard speech therapists that um, work with bilingual families that I work with will sometimes tell families, you know, don't worry if there's a little bit of a delay because children learn receptively first, I understand first, and they, they're basically learning two labels for every single word. So yeah, a lot of people did tell me, uh, you were probably included in this, um, <laughs> that she may speak later, like her communication may start later. I didn't find that actually. And actually in school and everything, she's one of the kids that is the most expressive and talks the most. <laughs> Imagine um, that. So yeah. That might be genetic. <laughs> True. <laughs> so she might not, that she may not be able to overcome that. And, and also just a side note, I think it's kind of funny when she was little, little and, and they would FaceTime us, she would speak in French and not, 
understand why I couldn't understand her. So she quickly had to learn which people in her family she could speak French to and which people she couldn't because, um, and even now she speaks English to us, no problem. But if she's frustrated and wants to explain something to Tanya, she switches to French because it's just faster Mm -hmm. for her, but she can do both if she needs to. It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting. Okay. So, um, Let's switch gears for a second. I just want to talk a little bit about some parenting topics, kind of compare and contrast here and there. So she went to daycare at about eight months. What were the options? Is daycare easy? Is it expensive? Okay, so there's two options with daycare. Basically, you have like the state-run daycare. Um, So you apply for that. And basically, you need to apply as soon as you know you're pregnant because there's not a lot of spots. And the the daycare, so I live in a smaller town. Um, I don't live in a big town. And there's one daycare. And it's actually split up into two different ways. So there's one like central daycare where it's collective. And there's about 15 kids. I want to say, I want to say the babies, there was 12 and maybe like with the middle-aged kids and the so the two-year-olds and three-year-olds, there was maybe, or maybe one and two-year-olds, there was uh, maybe 15. So there's not a whole lot of spots. And then they can also get you into their other type of daycares where they have like um, certified people who take up to four kids in their home. Um, so they have several of those that they can uh, place you in. And if you can't get into either of those, you have to find a nanny. So basically you hire an employee. Uh, so it's not as advantageous to you. So basically she was going to daycare. How expensive was That's it? That's what I'm getting to. Yeah. So she was going four days a week for 10 hours a day. So she went from... 40 hours a week. Seven to... Oh, seven to six. No, seven... Maybe a seven to five, three, yeah. So about ten hours a day, um, and she we paid like four sixty a month in euros dollars. in euros. So, so that's it's not that far off a quill, and I think uh, it might be that might be maybe five hundred, a little over five hundred bucks a month. That's cheaper than here. So that's subsidized. So if you were going to get a nanny, it would probably cost you. Two to three times that much. Yeah. But you can also um, declare that on your taxes. and Right. Right. I still think it's cheaper. Oh, yeah. And what about, we forgot to talk about maternity leave. How much is provided paid? So paid, you get, um, I believe it's two and a half months. I'm trying to remember, sorry. It's six. At your full salary? Yes. And then you can take um, what's called a parental leave. So it can be up to three years. Um, depending on your salary, uh, you can get help from the government. It's about 380 euros a month, per, uh, but de- that depends on how much you make a month. For up to three years. For up to three years, and they have to hold your job for you. Interesting. And you can also take that partially. Um, so I took a few months. I think I took, so I, t- I took from two and a half months to eight months. So I took like six months parental leave. And then I came back at part-time. So I came back at 80%. So I worked every day, but Wednesday when I came back to work. Interesting. So um, at what age do kids start going to formal school there? Transition from daycare to school? Three years old. And is it, would you say similar to preschool here, pre-K programs here? I would think so. I mean, I have a hard time saying that because I never had a kid in preschool here, right. and I don't remember that time very well. But, um, yeah, I think so. Basically, it's the starter to 
getting you into a collective environment, starting to give you the the base to share, take turns, stand in line, learn colors, learn, learn to numbers, hold a crayon, right. recognize shapes, read books. Yes. Got it. Sing songs. Lots Sing of songs. songs. <laughs> what what age do they start introducing formal reading there? Like sight words and and sounding out phonetically and Lily's starting to she's do that starting now. To do that but now. is that with school or that's on her own? No, she's starting to do that with school. So I, I would say last year she started doing that because so they for st- the equivalent of last year of pre K slash kindergarten because her equivalency is kindergarten now. Yeah. So that's about the same too. Um, tell me about uh, recess. My favorite topic. <laughs> How many times a day does she get to go outside at school? Three times a day. So they have a break in the morning. I, I believe it's like a short break, like 20 minutes. Um, and then they have a two-hour lunch. So they, that's the time where they eat. So they all go to the cafeteria. They sit down and eat. And then they go out and play. It's free play. So they don't have structured activities. In their courtyard, they have, you know, a slide, a swing, that kind of stuff. And they also have, like, a boat and, like, these kind of cabins that they can play in. Um, and and yeah. some children go home during that two-hour period. Yes. So either they uh, eat lunch there or their parents come and pick them up and they have lunch at home and then they bring them back after lunch. And they have a two-hour period to eat and play. Yes. In the middle of the day. Yes. Are you paying attention, America? I hope you are. <laughs> and then there's another one in the afternoon, another short break in the afternoon. I believe so. Shoo. It's wonderful. <laughs> and, okay, so let's talk about school lunches. There's a, there's a cook at school lunch. So there's, well, no, there's two different things. So in daycare, the cook was at the daycare. Um, so it was fresh food, brought, fresh food brought, brought in daily, cooked daily. Okay. Um, the same company manages the school lunches, but they're cooked off-site and they're brought to the school. Um, so just to give you an example, I just have the, the menu in front of me from yesterday. Uh, so basically it is very, it's very um, balanced. So they have like an entree, a meal, uh, a cheese, a dessert every day. Um, so from yesterday it was red, ca- it was um, grated red cabbage that was seasoned. There for the, the entree was a beef bourguignon. <laughs> um, they had apples on the side, and then they had some. I don't know what this kind of cheese is, but it's some kind of cheese. Um, and then for dessert, it was organic fruit. So that's a school. Yes. That's a typical school lunch. And do people say it tastes good? Like well, are there complaints? I've never heard a complaint, and I've talked to the teachers about it, and they tell me she eats everything pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah, you can tell. If you have a kid in, in public school in the United States, you can see that that varies greatly um, from most. Now, we've we've worked on our school lunch programs um, in the last decade, probably. But still, it, it's a it's a different palette um, for certain. Um, so let's talk a little bit to you've you've talked about meals with me before that. In the toddler age, there's just not this culture of snacking. Mm-hmm. You don't, you didn't, you, you don't see other moms carrying goldfish in their purses. No, I've never <laughs> seen that. Um, I'm not even. I mean, that being said, I've not seen them carrying carrots either. I mean, it's not necessarily a chip thing versus a vegetable thing. It's just they don't carry around snacks with them. It's very. Um, ordered so they have they do we do have three three meals a day and for the kids it's four so they have breakfast lunch dinner and a snack around four o'clock 
Um, but it's they, it's very, I mean, strict without being mean about it. It's just, um, that's just how just it is. That's the way it is. That's just the way it is, yeah. Got it. And she mentioned to me um, before we started recording, you know, not every restaurant has a kid's menu. So. So, yeah, I mean. And and I and, and it is we as well at home. She eats what we eat, and if she doesn't eat what we eat, she'll like if we make a dish with rice and 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 a and a sauce or whatever. If she doesn't want to eat the sauce, she'll eat the rice with vegetables on the side or something. But we don't ever make a, a meal for her uh, specifically. And she and does eat a lot. It might be also specific to my daughter, and she right. just likes to eat a lot. I of would things, say that so. there are a lot of families in America that don't make a separate meal either, and there are yeah. a lot of families that do, but. The restaurant thing is more interesting to me because almost any re- any restaurant that welcomes families in America usually has a kid menu. Yeah, um, I do. I, I mean, I don't. I, it's it's interesting. I mean, we don't. To be honest, we don't go out to eat at restaurants a whole lot, um, but we do. You know, when we're on holiday or where you know we'll go out occasionally. Um, and we generally just order her something off the menu. It's not, right. yeah, we don't have, you know. Chicken fingers, grilled cheese. No, definitely not. Got it. Mm-hmm. So um, when you were a new mom, did you feel like there were options to connect with other parents? Like was there mom groups or mommy and me classes or? Not that I saw. And again, I live in a smaller town, so those might be things that exist uh, in bigger towns where there's more community, where there's more ac- more services, more activities. People are, um, I don't, I'm not sure, but I didn't have that experience personally. Yeah. So sometimes in America, the argument can be made that those things are, are great. And I know for me, some of those things were <laughs> saving um, in the time that I was home and away from work just because I, I needed to get out. I'm just someone who needed to get out a little bit. But sometimes then that transitions without us even thinking into, well, I need to sign her up for gymnastics and we're going to take an art class and, um, you know, a lot of activities early on. Do you see that in, in French culture, activities for kids early on? What do you mean early on? What Like, age? I mean, you can start soccer here at three. Okay. No, I actually wanted to find some activities for her at that age. And it was really hard um, because I did. She's she, my daughter's really active. She has a lot of energy to burn <laughs> and I wanted to find her something to help her burn that energy. And I, I really couldn't find anything until she was four. So it more starts at four years old and you do have activities. So we put her the first year, we put her in gymnastics and uh, it's sort of like a dance music, you know, they're little, so they're four years old. So it's kind of just getting to know your body and getting to, you know, no rhythms and stuff. Creative movement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, but nothing is competitive. Even now she's six, like she takes dance, she takes contemporary dance and a music class where they do a bunch of different instruments, but nobody I know has their kids like in an activity every day. It's once a week, um, which once or twice a week is probably more common. Okay. I mean, my kids are in a lot of activities, but they're 13 and 15. Uh, and they probably weren't in things more than one day a week until closer to eight. Okay. So it'll yeah. be curious to see what happens with Lily and if it's that intense, <laughs> intense yeah. exhausting, whatever <laughs> you want to call it, um, at her age. 
Um, do you feel like, so, I mean, here I always kind of laugh, um, and I don't know very many people who are like this, but I, I see the jokes online and stuff, you know, are you a helicopter parent? Are you an attachment parent? Are you a free range parent? Are you, you know, there's all these labels for how you parent. And one of my favorite authors says that her mother says to her, you, your generation has turned parenting into a verb we didn't parent you. We were just your parents. (laughs) Um, And I think that that's really, there's something to be said for that in terms of stress on the parent and stress on the child. Do you feel like parents in French culture are as, uh, I want to choose my words carefully here, but in America, parents at this stage in the game in general, and and I never say all parents because that's not true for anyone, but there, there is sort of like, I'm more helicoptery than my parents were, even though I try not to be. I try to let my kids have their own experiences, and I think we have. But compared to our parents' generation, more hands-on, more involved. Um, do you see that in French culture, or is it kind of the way we were parented, where like, yeah, go, come back later, play? Okay, so... I do think we don't live in the same world as our parents lived in. And right. I do think by, not by nature, but by necessity, we have become that way. Um, so yeah, I would say that we are uh, more that way as well, just because they can't just go run, you know, we were run gone for hours. We in the walked, we walked to our grandmother's house 45 minutes away. No problem. Right. I would never let her do that. No. Right. Never. So that's not um, an American thing. That's a 2019 thing you would say. Yeah. And okay. But there is the whole, I mean, I, we do try to, you know, we're going to let her go outside and do whatever she yeah, wants. Yeah, we let and, our yeah. kids play outside. Right. It's not, yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, it's just, uh, yeah, I just think we live in a different world and we try to give her as much freedom as possible and try, you know, obviously when she's playing with her friends not to come in and every time there's, you know, a little thing, try to control the situation, right. let her deal with it. Do you and deal see with parents it. like... Is there a lot of like setting up play dates early on and like um, structuring their child's social development early on? Or is it just kind of like you can play with your friends at daycare or you can play with your friends at school? No, it wasn't my experience. My experience was more we we had friends who had kids and she played with those kids because we needed a life too. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, but some of those kids were in day, like, so one of the, fr- one of her good friends is one of our good friends and she was in daycare with them, not in school and with her anymore, but we see each other often. So, so it just sort of happened naturally. It happened naturally, but there wasn't like play date. Oh, now that you say that, now that I think about it, once she started school, a couple of the parents contacted us saying, my girl really likes to play with Lily Rose. Do you think she could come over? Yeah. Yeah. So that started a little bit once. Uh, that was probably, did that start last year? That was probably last year, yeah. Interesting. So that doesn't Around sound four, like it's that different either. Yeah. So is there is there anything um, that you can see compared to seeing the rest of your family parent our kids versus parenting her that we haven't talked about that you that you notice different culturally. Hmm. I mean, we've talked about a lot of things. We've yeah. talked about activity and feeding and daycare and school, and I mean, we might have covered it all. But <laughs> I'm just curious. Like, I'm just you, trying to. When think. you moved yeah. to France, where do you remember anything sticking out when you had a kid that was like, oh, I don't know that they do it like this at home. 
gosh, I wish I would have thought of that question before. I'm uh, on spot. I can't think. I can't think. I think we've covered it all, but I just wanted to make sure. If we do think of something, we'll have to put it in the comments. Yeah, we'll have to add it in the comments. Okay, well, I hope that this has been interesting um, to all of you. Thanks for chatting with me. No problem. Um, Maybe if someone is dreaming of moving to France, this will help them to (laughs) see what it's like um, to parent in another culture. Um, And also, too, I think really helpful just to hear about the experience of raising a bilingual child because... Probably there's more people out there um, considering raising bilingual children than moving off to France, (laughs) although there might be some. So I think that's helpful and interesting more than anything. And if you are hesitating about doing that, do it. If you you speak another language, you should speak to your child in that language. They are sponges. It's just natural to them. Um, and it's and it's easier just, than you thought it was going to be. It's so easy, and well, I mean, easy. Yeah, it's so easy, and it's so interesting and 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 fun to watch them navigate through those two languages and and play with them and um and just watch that grow. It's really fun. Great. Um, so as always, you can find out about more than milestones and miracles online at milestonesandmiracles.com. We have a wide range of resources available to you. Everything from lots of free content on our blog. Um, we have our award-winning one, two, three, just play with me. That does that really good job of identifying specific milestones at each age and stage and pairing them with purposeful play so that you can be your child's first teacher that's available in print and in ebook format. If you're joining us as a therapist, um, there's a special link there for you. Um, Or if you're an early childhood educator, there's a professional tab there that has um, some downloads. Um, There's also um, access to reach our online continuing education courses and a a pretty hefty discount through MedBridge Education if you're looking for CEUs. We're also pretty active on social media, so and we love to engage with people from all over to share our experiences, but more importantly, to hear your experiences and your needs. So make sure you find us and check us out. And we look forward to hearing from you sometime soon. Bye-bye.